Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Talking about relationships this entire month of February, uh, we started off the month talking about dating. How many of you guys liked last week's topic about dating? All the single people <laughs> yelling woohoo. Um, and uh, today, I have a question for us to get started. And it's Do you believe everything that you've heard about marriage? Do you believe that? <laughs> no, right away. Do you believe everything that you've heard about marriage? And with today's topic, our title today is Marriage. Marriage myths. And when it comes to marriage, there's so many myths that, that are out there. And we're going to be debunking some myths today. Someone say, gear up. Gear up. Look at your neighbor and say, gear up. Gear up. <laughs> because when it comes to all these different ideas about marriage, there's some good ones, uh, some good myths out there. There's some bad myths. But we're going to be talking a lot about sex, personality, expectations, and more. And uh, <laughs> the woo-hoo in the back. Um, and so as we get started, I want to read y'all this verse in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery. Look at your neighbor and say mystery. But it is an illusion of the way Christ and the church are one. This is such an interesting thing to start off because marriage seems so simple yet so complicated at the same time. Y'all agree? And we're not on sex just yet. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> uh, Marriage is a mystery, and, and what makes it even more mysterious is when you look back in time, when you look back at history, there's another ver- it, verse where it says, this explains why a, fa- uh, why a man will leave his father and mother's home to be joined to his, uh, to his wife. And it says again that it's a mysterious thing. And even think back in, into history, back in the day, families were a lot closer knit than they are today. And when, whenever there's a family established, I mean, the kids were, you know, homeschooled in a sense. There wasn't public education. Everyone was, it was like you were raised with your family. You spent all your time with your family. You loved your mom and dad. It's not like today where you hate your parents all the time. It, you loved your parents so much. You had such a great relationship. They were your family. The, the thought of leaving your family was, was a horrible uh, and, and intimidating, terrifying idea. And so that's why the Bible says this explains why men would leave his father and mother to be joined to a complete stranger. Some, why someone would leave the comfortability of everything that they were used to, everything that they were raised with, to go with a complete stranger that they met and start a new life with them. It's a mystery. It doesn't make sense. And there's so many mysteries about marriage that we're going to go over today, but the, the backdrop that I want to give is that marriage is a, an amazing and beautiful thing. Marriage, the, the reason why somebody would leave their home and leave their family is because the, the, the heart of connecting with somebody else. I mean, even in the garden with Adam, he walked with God. He was so close with God. And, and yet God saw that he still desired a companion uh, out, outside of this spiritual relationship with God. And God granted it to him with Eve. And so even in the Garden of Eden, we see that this companionship to, between, in a marriage is a healthy and good thing, and God called it good. But today, a lot of the connotation on marriage is usually pretty negative. And so we're going to talk a lot about these myths and debunking them. And I want to start with the topic of sex. Look at your neighbor and say sex. Yeah, it's a sexy topic. If you're sitting next to a single person, things just got really spicy. Let me read you all this verse in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 
verses 1 through 5. This is Paul talking. And he says, now regarding the questions you asked in your letter. What that implies is that people were asking about it. (laughs) Yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and his wife should fulfill her husband's needs. Right there, that's if you've ever heard me say, there's a lot of horny people in the church. The Bible says it right there. It says that the wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over her body, his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Because that's what we're really doing, right? That was before they had a TV. <laughs> Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because you lack self-control. So this whole idea that Paul is talking about is sex. Now, let me give a baseline. I know that it's church, and even last night in our Bible study, we ended up, I mean, it was guys and I, we, were ta- we ended up going a little bit over sex, and someone's new time there was like, I've never, I've never uh, talked about sex in a Bible study before. And usually, church and family is the two places that you never talk about sex. But You hear about it from everywhere else. I would argue that church and your family are the two places that the topic of sex should be talked about first. We should be talking about it because if you look around, kids these days, man, I sound a lot older than I am. (laughs) Kids these days, you know what what the the average now for a, a young person to lose their virginity? It's 13. Think about how drastically young that is. What that means, what, most of those 13-year-olds have never talked about sex with their parents. Have never talked about sex with, at church. Where they have talked about it with is their friends. They, they've even talked about it at school to some extent. And they don't have to get, go very far because it's all over their phone. It's all over TV. I mean, think about how many kids are really monitored at what they watch nowadays. I mean, before it was like, it was... It's difficult to even go see a rated R movie. But now, you don't even have to go to a movie theater to see a rated R movie. You just enjoy it on your phone. I mean, how many kids have, have their Netflix account guarded? Y'all dig what I'm saying? Look at your Netflix feed. Look at your Hulu. How many movies have a, a representation of sex in them? How many shows are literally geared to sexual perversion? And so, again... It's not that sex isn't being talked about. It's that it's just not being talked about in church. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And we need to have a a good biblical understanding about sex. And it's the only way that our future kids are going to have a good understanding about sex is if we talk about it, even though it's uncomfortable. Y'all feel me? And so talking about sex, there's, there's a couple myths within the church about sex, especially with with young Christians. And if you're married already, maybe some of these myths uh, may have applied to you at one time. Maybe they apply now. But one myth is that marriage is simply a license to have sex in the church. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of young people, college students that are Christians, that want to get married for the simple reason as a license to have sex. And they have no cognitive uh, mind about how it's the joining of another person, that you are becoming a companion, a best friend with somebody else. A lot of people have the idea of marriage being something where you, you don't have to talk to each other. And a lot of people in church end up having premarital sex, getting pregnant, going to the courthouse and getting married the next day. And what happens is you got two people that don't even know each other. They end up joining the rest of their lives. And all of a sudden they spend a couple months together. Sometimes it's just a couple days. And they're like, who the heck are you? 
And they feel like they married somebody that they didn't even know. I don't know how many friends that I've had that ended up getting married like that. And then they look at each other and like, this was just a giant mistake. I don't even feel like I really know the real you. I thought I did, but you're, you're not that. Marriage is so much more than just sex. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Now, here's, a, here's another thing about that is a myth. Myth number two about sex is once you get married, you never have sex. <laughs> that's, that's a lie from the devil, right? Someone say amen. Amen. <laughs> All the married people, amen. <laughs> once you get married, you never have sex. Did you know that even in, in secular studies that married people have more sex than people who sleep around? That there's this idea that you end up, ha- uh, uh, if you're not committed to one person, you'll be having sex with more people. It, it's just, it's not accurate. It's just an idea that's not true. If you even think about the average partier, I mean, how many times they go out a night and how many people that they have to meet to be able to have sex even just once a week, <laughs> twice a week, and it just doesn't happen. With a married person, there, there's an average of... Uh, the, the statistical average secularly is two times a week. And, and so this idea that, that once you get married that you never have sex like you used to, it just, it's just not true. There's, it, it, it's just a, a, a far-eyed idea that, that isn't there. And another myth about sex is that guys are the only ones who want sex all the time and that sex is only enjoyable for the guy. Now this is... This is kind of a sharp sword here, okay? And this, is, this will apply to you single people one day. But this is especially for those of us who are married. The idea that guys are the only ones who want sex is just not true. There, there's, uh, it, it, it's, if, if anything, there's often times where women want to have sex more often than men. And there's, a, there's plenty of times you could ask... A, Plenty of married couples to where when the husband gets home, sometimes it's a, a long day at work or whatever, and he just wants to sit and watch TV, and this, the wife can be like, hey, baby, how's it going? And, you know, dropping little hints, and some of you married couples are like, oh, <laughs> dropping hints, and, and the husband's like, ah, oh, babe, I'm just really tired today. <laughs> just like how you see in the movies where the woman is the one that's like, oh, I'm just, I have a headache, I'm too tired. The guys are usually the ones that say that. <laughs> The men are the ones that's turning it down. And it, it's just, it's just a, a not, it's not a reality that guys want it more than girls. It, and and it's, I'm not trying to project that women want it more than men either. The idea is that we both mutually like the idea of, being, of having, experiencing unity and pleasure with our spouse. And just... Uh, I think some of you married couples can agree that sometimes it's just kind of finding the right moment at the right time. And it's like, man, we both really enjoyed this today. (laughs) And now the idea that sex is only enjoyable for a guy, this is going to be a little PG 13. Okay. And I'm going to just, I'm going to just throw it out there. Um, and I want y'all just receive this the best you can. And the first thing I'm going to say is, Ladies, and I'm going to just look down at the ground while I say it. Ladies, if you want to start enjoying sex with your spouse more, you're going to have to stop faking it. So, there's, there's so many times where women are not pleased because they're trying, it's almost embarrassing for them to tell the man can you move over a little bit? <laughs> can, you, can you do this? Can you do that? And it's so often that sex becomes less enjoyable for women because you're not communicating what you really want, what you really need. And guys, now I'm going to talk to you. I, if you want to have a healthier sex life with your spouse, what I'm projecting to you is you should really focus on pleasing your wife first. And when you develop a, a healthy 
sex life to where you're putting her needs before your own, y'all both are going to enjoy sex a lot more. <laughs> all the women, <laughs> all these girls are like, hey man, I'd like today. <laughs> I knew I was supposed to come today. <laughs> and, and guys, the, the reason I'm telling you that it should be your priority to focus on your wife's first is because guys, y'all, y'all know how it is. I mean, sometimes when you're done, you're done. You fall asleep. You can't even function after that. It it doesn't, it's doesn't take any, it it just, you have so much less drive. (laughs) You have so much less motivation, but when you put her needs before your own, you're able to be a lot more into it than if you're just sitting there in the bed trying to close up shop. And, and so again, this, this, I know that this first topic about sex is uh, maybe some of you are thinking this is a little too vivid. I, I know that there's a lot of people here that are even single that are going to love this later in life. <laughs> and, and I wish that, that for some of these things that I wouldn't have had to learn on my own. I wish that it was talked about in church when I first got married because I would have felt a lot less confused. And the, the simple idea is when it comes to sex, that instead of looking about getting your finish, you should look about pleasing the other person. That's really what the intimacy of sex is because it's a representation of what marriage should be like, about sacrificing yourself for the other person. And if only one person is sacrificing, if only one person is being pleased, well, it's going to feel like things are being taken from you. And you're going to constantly feel uh, neglected and it's going to turn into bitterness in your marriage. And that, when you allow that to happen, that's when it turns into a married couple that doesn't have sex for months at a time. And, and even what I, I was even sharing the guys night last night, we were talking about principles and having standards and principles in your life. Even within my marriage, I'm being, one of our core values is being transparent. And it's important for us to be transparent even about this kind of stuff because kids grow up thinking that nobody else is really doing this. That they're the only ones that are messed up in the head. That they're the only ones that, that are struggling in their marriage. That they're the only ones that have these kinds of issues and they never want to bring it up because it feels embarrassing. And, and when it comes to sex in your marriage, I'm going to recommend two books, okay? <laughs> There's two books that were some of the best books that I've ever read. And I've read dozens of books and, and some that I, I wish I never did read and some that I was like, man, this is a good book. But there's two books that will change your life. And one is called Crazy Good Sex. <laughs> and it's a Christian book. And I was, uh, it talks about, it, it also talk, it goes like a myth, kind of a myth-based idea about sex. And it talks in depth about the biblical side of it, the spiritual side of it, that even the scientific side of it, that even the psychological side of it, the person that wrote the book is a, I think, I, I don't remember if they're a counselor or a psychiatrist, but they're like Dr. So-and-so. But it's an amazing book because it gives you so much better perspective on the topic. And the other book that I would recommend is uh, by Ed Young. He's a pastor of Fellowship Church, and it's called Sex Spearman. Again, both of these books would be great to read whether you're married, whether you're single, it, they're great books. And the sex experiment, what the whole idea behind this book is it's a challenge to challenge couples to have sex every day of the week for seven days. And at first glance, it's like, well, shoot, I could do that. But those of y'all who've been married more than a year, more than 30 days know that there's times where it's like, Either you had a super long day and it's like, man, I'm just so tired tonight. It, like everything in the world is like pulling you away. It's where it's like, man, we could just go to bed right now. We're both tired. But when you force each other to, to have sex anyway, it, it forces you to be close together. It forces you to be intimate. And even those of y'all, again, who have been married more than a year or less and even that, you know that there's some days out of the week where... It's not even a big fight, but you're just both irritated at each other. And there's times, uh, and, and I'm 
recommending this book because me and my wife tried it and we read it. And there's times where it's like, man, we're both mad at each other and it forced us to have to talk about it rather than just sleeping it off. And how many times have y'all gotten into a fight and you're like, sleep over it and y'all never talk about it the next day, you just move on. Well, it forces you to reconcile things before the, the day ends. The Bible says, don't even let the sun go down while you're still angry. And so it, forced you, it forces you to talk to your spouse and work things out. And how much, doesn't, doesn't that clearly give a picture of a, a, rest, a, um, a healthy marriage to where you communicate things and you, you talk about things that made you upset to your spouse and y'all work it out before every night ends? Doesn't that sound healthy? And so if you, if you guys want to really look at some literature that would help you on, on this idea of sex, marriage, and Christianity, sex experiment, and crazy good sex. And now, can I just say a funny joke since we're ending this topic on sex? When we first heard about this book, Sex Experiment, we went to a, a, a Christian conference. It was a leadership conference, and me and my wife walked up. As soon as we got there, and we were like, I don't know, one year, two years down in our marriage. And there's this, like, just a, this girl, a young girl by herself at this table. And it says, sex experiment in the back. And we walk up. It's like, hey, what is this about? And she just so politely starts talking about the book. It's like, oh, yes, it's a, it's a challenge where you and your spouse um, have sex every day for seven days. And, guys, I started laughing so hard. <laughs> I couldn't contain myself. <laughs> And, I was, and my wife was looking at me like, are you serious? <laughs> I was like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And I was trying so hard to be like, make a straight face, but I, I ended up laughing so much while she was just explaining the book that I ended up having to leave because <laughs> I felt so embarrassed. And my wife was left there like this, you know, just by herself asking about this experiment book as if she was single. So it was just really funny. Um, that's where you go like, ah, <laughs> man, tough crowd. So the last myth about sex before we move on is the myth that you should move in together first to see if it would work out. It's a myth that you should move in together to see if it'll work out. And the reason that this is such a dangerous myth to believe is because 80% of people that move in together before they get married end up breaking up. And it's not because they got to see the, see the real person. No, it's, it's because they, had, they wanted the, the, the benefits of marriage which, without the commitment and responsibility. And when you do that, you, you, you take away the commitment of the relationship. Think about any time you've moved in with anybody. Think about just growing up. Who do you fight with the most? The people you live with. Whether it's your siblings or whether you go off to college and get your first roommate and you're like, you don't, you're not going to do your dish? <laughs> you're really going to use my towel? You didn't even ask. Like you just, you naturally irritate anybody that you move in with. Every person, there's not even best friends that move in together. Get into fights once they move in. You, you're just, it's inevitable. And so this idea that, well, let's see how it works out if we just move in together. The reason that 80% of people end up breaking up is because they just naturally irritate each other sometimes and then they think, oh, well, then it's just not meant to be. And great relationships are ruined just because they try to take marriage before the responsibility and commitment. It's a dangerous myth and it, you just, it's so dangerous because it will kill a good relationship. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Now, we can, we can finish this sexy point and we can go on to the next one. Look at your other neighbor and say, man, that was intense. Look at your other neighbor and say, do you think that was kind of graphic? <laughs> Let's talk about personality. Personality. Let me, uh, let me read you Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. It says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Do not be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. There's a myth that, have you ever heard of the myth of marriage is just a paper? Marriage is just a paper. Maybe you've even heard the, the, the myth that marriage ruins everything. Man, it, there's some people that are so, like, so uh, super spiritual, 
to where they think that marriage is like a hex. And once you sign that paper that all of, the, all of heaven and earth is going to come against you to ruin that marriage. That's like this plague. The truth is, a lot of people get married and stop investing into the relationship. Marriage is, is more than a paper. It's a commitment to one another. And it's not that marriage ruins everything. It's that neglect ruins everything. Have you ever heard the term that I, I, I remember hearing one time someone's talking about their marriage and they're talking about how they met this other person and that this person was so much better than their spouse. And someone told them, you know, the grass is always greener. And the person responded saying, yeah, well, the grass over here is burnt. Let me suggest this to you that anyone that has ever had their own yard, <laughs> they maintain their yard pretty diligently. The people that have really green grass and it looks nice can win some awards in their neighborhood is because they're very intentional about keeping their, their yard good and clean. See, even when, you, when the, you think that the grass is always greener, but the grass over here is burnt, it's because you're not watering your grass. It's because you're not taking care of your own yard. Nothing, just, nothing great just happens by accident. It's, it happens with intention. When you think about why is it that it's so different after marriage compared to before marriage? Well, before marriage, you're, you're trying to marry the person. <laughs> and a lot of people, once they get married, it's like, well, I guess I'm done. I can check this off my list. I no longer have to work at this relationship because we've arrived. And, and most people stop dating their spouse after they get married. They stop, get, they stop caring about anniversaries. They stop caring about Valentine's Day. They stop caring about meaningful moments. And in fact, they stop making special moments. That's what kills marriage. It's not this, this weird ooga-booga thing with getting a, a marriage license. Or, it, it's simple application of what you were doing before marriage and doing it afterwards. And... When you look at, when, when you ever hear like some people that are in puppy love, everything's a big deal. They're like, oh man, we're six months today. <laughs> it's like, that's not an anniversary, son. <laughs> wait till you're three years or something. Just wait for an actual year. But it's like, they're so excited about their relationship that even after one month, they're marking it a special day. How come we can't make anything special after we get married? Is it not any more meaningful? It's all about personality. It's all about what you put in a marriage is what you're going to get out of it. If you put in passivity and neglect, you're going to get all those feelings back. If you put intention and romance, you're going to get that back. If you put in love in a marriage, you're going to get love out of it. If you put sacrifice in your marriage, you're going to get sacrifice back out of that marriage from the other person. Another myth is that you have to marry the right personality to be compatible. If you've ever heard someone say something like, we're so good together because we're so alike. Let me, I, I just want to debunk this myth real quick because I've seen plenty of married people that are just alike. <laughs> And they're happy together. And there's plenty of married people that are nothing alike. And they're happy together. What I'm telling you is that really it doesn't have anything to do with personality. I would say that you should, you should like the person that you're dating. You should like the person that you want to marry before you marry them. But this idea of, of, of personality types matching up is really, it's not the point. And if you, if the reason I'm saying that this is a myth, because if you hold on to that, a couple years down the line, you might be one of those people saying, I think I married the wrong one. We're, we're not as compatible as I thought. Our personalities are a lot different. And you start thinking, my marriage is hard because our personalities are different. But it has nothing to do with the personality. Y'all dig what I'm saying? It has to do with of what 
you guys are willing to sacrifice with, for one another. It has to do what you're looking, what, what you're willing to restore. It has nothing to do with personality types. It has not, it, even the idea of being compatible, I strongly believe that if, you, if, if two people in a marriage have the idea to love the other person, you're able to work it out. There's not this, this idea that there's one person in the entire world that is just for you. And then you're left after a couple of years thinking, man, maybe I, I missed the mark. I married the wrong one. This isn't the rib in my side. It's the thorn in my flesh. And you start looking at other people and you, you, will, you will leave someone that's 80% good for you for somebody that's only 20% good for you. I once heard uh, this story of a pastor where a married couple called them out and said, we want you to bless this divorce. <laughs> said, we want you to bless our divorce to leave each other. You, you married us, we want you to divorce us too. <laughs> and so he ended up showing up and trying to counsel them. And the husband, he says, I thought that she was the, the rib of my side like Adam and Eve, but she's actually what Paul talked about. She's the thorn in my flesh. And I found the real rib to my side. She's my secretary. <laughs> And so I'm going to, I need to leave her to find the right one for me. Of course, the pastor is like, no, that's not biblical. That's not right. Don't do it. You're going to, you're going to ruin your life. You're going to ruin your marriage. So he ends up doing it anyway. And it turns out that the secretary was more of a thorn in his flesh than his original wife. So we, we often get so fixated on personalities and small engagements that we lose sight of the big picture. Y'all dig what I'm saying? So the final thought about personality, the final myth I wanted to close this point off of is that love is a feeling and sometimes people just fall out of love. Sometimes people just fall out of love. If you, if you have this idea that love is a feeling, a flutter of the heart, then you have the wrong concept of love. Love is so much more than butterflies. When, you, when we look at perfect true love, we're, we see it in Jesus. It says that Jesus exemplifies perfect and true love. The Bible also says that true love is, a, is someone laying down their life for a friend. It's about sacrifice. See, that's why one of our core values is love is an action and a choice. Your feelings will follow your actions. Just try it. If you start writing some love notes to your spouse, you're going to feel more feelings for your spouse. If you start getting some flowers on your way home for your spouse, start, start going back to the dating. Start going back to trying to win them over. And you'll start feeling those feelings again. But just like I said... If you just don't do anything at all, that fire is going to die out. And it's not, it's not just falling out of love like the stars aren't aligned anymore. It's, real, it's like I said at the beginning, marriage is so simple sometimes. What, think about the idea of why do, why do some kids hate their, their parents? One of the most common scenarios is a son that hates his dad. Because the dad was never there. That's a very common scenario. I, want, I love... The Ninjago movie, the Lego Ninjago movie, because the main character is a hero and the main villain is, uh, is actually the father of the main hero. And there's a part in the movie where the main hero says, you ruined my life. And the villain replies and says, how could I possibly have ruined your life? I was never even there. <laughs> it's a perfect example of what marriage is like. When you're not there... When it's just work and go home, work and go home, and you're not there in your marriage, you'll ruin it. And it it's, has nothing to do with the stars aligning. It has nothing to do with falling in or out of love. It has to do with your choices and your actions. Y'all dig what I'm saying? If you do not feel the spark in your marriage, it's because you haven't done anything for your marriage in a minute. Y'all feel me? Y'all thought we were just going to talk about sex today. <laughs> Let's talk about expectations. 
Expectations. I thought the perfect verse to use talking about expectations is this one right here. It says, even lifeless instruments like the flute or the harp must play the notes clearly or no one will recognize the melody. And if the boogler doesn't sound a clear call, how will the soldiers know they're being called to battle? This is when Paul was telling a church to not speak in tongues the entire service, <laughs> saying that it would be better for you to give a message in church with five clear words and a thousand words that no one can understand. And I think it, it applies to marriage really well because how often do we have expectations that we've never communicated to our spouse? How many times do we expect our spouse to do something that they should just know by now? That's a myth. If they haven't already, it's because they didn't care. If they haven't already, it's because they don't care. The myth of they should know by now. I guarantee you that we were to just talk about some of the expectations that that person should already just know. That they would be surprised and say, oh, I didn't even know that you wanted me to do that. Can I give a personal example? When I first got married, I'm, I'm kind of an OCD person. And most people that I've worked with have told me that I'm difficult to work with. So imagine, y'all, y'all should all be praying for my wife, Lauren. <laughs> and I'm a person that I like to wash my dishes as soon as I use them. I like to have everything in order. I'm like a psychopath. I like the spoons in one spot, the forks in another. Don't, I even separate the small spoons from the bigger spoons. That's the way I like it. Some of you guys who, who are, are smarter than everybody else know that that's the way you should do it, right? <laughs> that's a joke. So one day I came home for lunch. And my wife, she like ran to do an errand real quick. And I noticed that she left a pan and a plate in the sink. And I was furious. I couldn't believe it. I said, she just expects me to clean up after her? I started, make, I started getting so heated in my head. It's like, oh my gosh. And, and I, I just couldn't just leave it there. And so I start washing the plate, washing the dishes. I'm getting even more mad as I'm washing them. Man, she can't believe she's doing this to me. <laughs> Got so upset that when I would put the, the plate away, I sh- kind of shucked it. <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <clears throat> And I chipped the plate. And when I saw it chip, see what she made me do. <laughs> and then she got home right when I, when I had finished. She walked in the kitchen and said, oh my gosh, you did my dishes for me? I have the sweetest husband ever. I'm so lucky. Man, did I feel like the biggest jerk in the world. <laughs> I was like, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> Let's see, I was, she had no idea that, that I, I like to put dishes away right away, that I get bothered when the bed's not made. And in marriage, we have so many expectations of the other person that we never even communicate. There's one time I was like, you know, we, I need to get better at exp- expressing some expectations I have. And there's a time period where my wife was working a part-time job and I was working a full-time job. For my full-time job, I was working like overtime all the time. I was working 70 hours a week. So I was always tired. And before that point, we'd always just had an understanding that she would cook and I would clean. And but this point, I felt like we needed to change things up because I was having so much more committed time that I was just like, man... Can, do you think that I feel like you should help pick up a little bit of the cleaning since things are different now? Our life has changed, so we need to reevaluate. And so I expressed some expectations that I had. I was like, moving forward, I really want to do this because, et cetera, et cetera. And she, she is like, you know, I really br- I'm glad that you brought this up because I actually have some expectations that, that you have not been meeting either that I want to express. <laughs> and see, I, I was at in my mind, I was like, she needs a. She needs to work on this. She needs to fix this. And she told me, you know, I noticed that when you come home, 
I make you breakfast and everything in the morning. And when you come home, you just leave your lunch bag on the table. And it makes me feel like you just expect me to, you don't even throw anything away. It smells. And you just expect me that I'm like your maid. And I was like, oh, shoot. Like, that, that's not even what I was intending. I just left it there. And like with the thought, I was like, I don't want to deal with this right now. I'm going to wait 20 minutes and clean it myself. But she looked at it and said the same thing I thought at the beginning of the marriage. So he, he just expects me to clean this. See, there's so many fights that we have in marriage just because we don't communicate. So many, so many expectations that we've never clearly said. And if we do not talk about them, we're going to continue to be upset and frustrated. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Just talk about it. Even if it seems petty, talk about it. Because if not, it, the Bible says that just a little yeast will permeate through the whole batch of dough. Meaning that uh, another place it says that small foxes spoil the vine. Saying that little things can ruin the whole batch if you you keep them unchecked. Those of y'all who've been married, think about how many small things that built up into big things over time. We have to talk about it. You have to communicate. You have to communicate. You have to communicate. Notice how I said that three times to make it clear, meaning that sometimes you have to communicate something multiple times to make it clear. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Communication of expectations helps against conflicts of frustration. The final myth when it comes to expectations I want to talk to y'all about is you have to give 50-50. That's an expectation that most people have in marriage is that you have to give 50-50. That marriage is a contract. If you don't meet your 50%, I'm not going to give my 50%. And I'm also only giving you 50% because I got to look out for number one. Real marriage is giving 100% of yourself Trusting and believing that the other person is going to give 100% of themselves to you. That's, that's a trust, right? That's a commitment. And, and if you look at marriage as a contract, you're ready to pull out. But if you look at it as a, a covenant, a commitment, even when the other person falls short, you're going to continue to give 100%. You're not receding when you feel like the other person hasn't met their mark, that you're still giving of yourself and you're not just going to be a doormat or a punching bag because you're going to go back and talk about it, but you're going to always give your 100% while clearly communicating expectations. And if you do that, the person that loves you is going to want to make the changes that they need to make. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Oftentimes we just don't communicate. We just let it fester and turn into this, this mold that infects all of our body and all of our marriage and all of our family. If you notice that mold left in the dark continues to grow, shed some light on some of that mold in your marriage and, and expose it. Because if not, it'll just continue to fester. Y'all dig what I'm saying? With this idea of it being 100 100, I, I usually say, I remember I told, when me and my wife first got married, we went to go see her dad and her family. And it was the first, first time that I met him. It was the first time that I got to meet that side of the family. And we were already married. And I just, I said, hey, I want to make a speech real quick. I want to say something to you guys. They took us out to eat. And I said, when I married your daughter and I signed a marriage certificate, I signed a death certificate. Because... It's no longer about me. It's about her. I said, my, it's no longer just me and my life. It's us. It's we. It, and that, that is an, an epitome of marriage. It's just You're caring about that other person. You're putting that person first. Even before your kids. Most, most people, a lot of people get divorced as soon as their kids go to graduate. As soon as they go off to college, they get divorced because the only thing keeping them together was the kids. The kids. We got to stay together for the kids. We got to stay strong for the kids. 
As soon as the kids go, it's like, whoa, we don't really need each other anymore then. Your marriage is meaningful. Your marriage is important. Your marriage is unique. Work out those things and don't let circumstances be the only thing that binds your marriage together. Y'all feel what I'm saying? I want to read y'all this final verse in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 through 23, or 21 through 33. Because marriage is about sacrifice and restoration. It says in these verses, any further submit to one another out of the reverence for Christ. For wives, that means submit to your husbands as, the, as to the Lord. And for a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. Most men are just like, amen, hallelujah, submit to me. But then it says, as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands... This means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. Let me stop real quick here. What this verse is saying is, husbands, love your wives like Jesus loved the church. How did Jesus love the church? With sacrifice. He's willing to lay his life down on the cross. He led the church. He was willing to give everything he had for the church. His love is redemptive and forgiving. When we mess up, Jesus still loves us. So husbands, when we're wondering, how am I supposed to love this woman? Just think about how God had to love you. Think about all the times that, that you've messed up, that you've made a mistake. And when you come to God, you're like, I'm sorry. And he says, it's all right. I love you. We're going to work this out. I redeem you. Notice that, that God redeemed us. Even when we feel like us as men, we know so much better than our wives because guys are always right, right? <laughs> That's how that saying goes, men are always right. Or <laughs> We are the ones that Jesus was the one that redeemed us. And so we should be the ones leading in the redemption of our marriage. We should be the ones leading in the restoration of our marriage. We shouldn't be waiting for our wife to get everything fixed for us. We need to lead our marriage. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Finishing this verse, it says, For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself. and His wife must respect her, her husband. Men, it says love our wives. Women, it says respect your husbands. Guys, we make it a lot easier for our wives to respect us when we live a godly life. When we lead in our marriage, when we lead our family. And, and for those of you who aren't married yet, girls, don't settle. Don't settle. Don't settle. There's a guy out there that you've been waiting for. And if you're just patient, you'll be able to marry a guy that will lead you and you won't have to be dragging him to church all the time. Don't settle. Y'all feel what I'm saying? The truth out of all these myths is that you both will fail each other. Think about that real hard for a second. In a marriage, you both will fail each other at one point in time. More than once. I've failed my wife. She has failed me. We've all failed each other many ways. But if you have your hearts always set 
on restoration. It's where after every fight, after, after every fault, you have in your mind, how can I restore this part? How can I make this better? Instead of looking at how I could be made right, looking at how can I restore what I lost. And determine in advance that you're willing to sacrifice anything but your marriage. Then you'll be able to make it. It's not about being right. It's about restoring. It's not about sacrificing your marriage. It's about sacrificing everything for your marriage. With that being said, I want us all to close our eyes and bow our heads. And if the very first thing I want us to pray for is if you realize today, maybe for the first time, you've never seen the love of Christ portrayed in the way of a marriage that that Christ Jesus loves you with redemption, with restoration, that he cares for you. And maybe at some point of today's message, you realize that you need to put your trust in the marriage of Jesus Christ the union of you and the Savior of the world. That's you with every head bowed and eye closed. I want you to raise your hand. I see your hands. See your hands. So what I want you to do, if if you rose your hand or if you've even already given your life to Christ, I want you to repeat this prayer after me as a reaffirmation of your faith. Because the Bible says that if you put your trust in Him, He will not fail you. Now, if you simply believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus rose from the dead, you're accepting the transaction He made on the cross. You're saying, yes, I do to Him. So, repeat after me and say, Lord Jesus, I want to be married to You. I want to be united. I want to be led. And I want to be cared for by you. I believe you died for me on the cross. I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe that you're the Son of God. And I put my trust in you. Be the Savior to my soul. And be the Lord of my life. I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.